You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Hey, everybody. Are you in New York City this Thursday, April 6th? If you are, you got to come to our networking event. We're having it at a Midtown Watering Hole. Directors, producers, everybody. Uh, if you want to come and you want an invite, just join the ProDoCom. We'll send you everything. The Producers Perspective Pro. We're anticipating a big turnout for Thursday. Hope to see you there. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kendavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week, one article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's kendavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. Hello, everybody. Ken Davenport here. Welcome back to the Producers Perspective podcast. First of all, a little note. I know a couple of the previous episodes have had a couple little sound glitches in them. Sorry about that. We have corrected the issue going forward, so apologies. I'm super happy to have today's guest with us today. I've actually been wanting to reach out to ask him to do the podcast for a long time, but I've never worked with him, so I didn't have his contact information. And then, bam, it so often happens in this business, I run into him in the elevator. And I grabbed him before he got off, and he said yes, and here we are, and here he is. Welcome to the podcast, one of the top directors on Broadway, Mr. Scott Ellis. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. Thrilled to be here. So Scott has directed countless shows on Broadway, including The Elephant Man, You Can't Take It With You on the 20th Century, Edwin Drew, Curtains, and last season's fantastic She Loves Me, which he also directed back in 1993. He's a seven-time Tony nominee for Best Director. Eight, but he's He's an eight-time Tony nominee for Best Director. He's also the Associate Artistic Director for the Roundabout Theater Company. He's also directed a ton of TV shows from episodes of The Modern Family, Nurse Jackie, The Good Wife, and 30 Rock, which got you an Emmy nomination as well. 
And lots more, executive producer of Weeds on Showtime. Yeah, he was an actor. He's done everything in this business. You can see why I grabbed him before he stepped out of that elevator. So, Scott, you've done a lot of stuff. How did this all begin for you? I was an actor first. So I, I went to the Goodman School of Drama in Chicago, and I acted for about 10 years. And I was in a show called The Rink, Candor and show called The Rink. And I auditioned, and I got cast. And in that process, I approached Candor and Ed about doing a revival of Floor of the Red Mess, which was a show I had known as a kid from the album. And I always thought it was fascinating that it dealt with communism uh, during the 30s. So I just thought that was really interesting. So they literally, I remember, they said we that was their first show they ever wrote. And they said, we would love that. Uh, who would direct it? And I said, I would. And they said, have you ever directed anything before? And I said, no, I haven't, but I really want to. And they gave me their their agent's information, Sam Cohen, which was a huge major agent at that time. Sam Cohen. How old were you? I, I was young. <laughs> I, was like, I was young. And I was having conversations with Sam, sort of with Sam, barely ever with Sam, but I did. And he turned out to be an incredibly lovely man to me. But I got, uh, yeah, I sort of, Started the process of, of once we got the rights, and then I brought in uh, Tom Thompson, uh, Tommy, who ended up being a part, ended up doing Steel Pier together, and then Susan Stroman, who had, who had just started. I've known her for years. She hadn't really started doing any major choreography or directing in New York. And so we sat around Freddie's table for about a year in his kitchen and rejiggered for the minutes. And that's how my, my directing career started. And what made you think, oh, I can be a director? I have no clue. Other than being an actor, was as an actor, I remember directors who I really liked and who I thought were helpful or made the process really collaborative. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I think I might be able to do that, I think. But I will say in the tech, it was at the Vineyard Theater at Flora, and we were in the middle of the tech. It was that tiny, tiny little theater. And I do remember sitting in back of the table thinking, I'm very comfortable here. I just felt like, oh, I think I found my home. I just, I wasn't scared. I wasn't, I was just felt very at home. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll take this serious. Maybe I'll do more of it. That's the truth. So I've talked to a lot of directors, some who have been actors and some who have not. What are the pros and cons of having been an actor first? I don't I don't think there's any cons, to be honest with you. I mean, that's just me. I think as once as an actor, once you've been gone through that process as an actor, it's something you never, ever forget. Being I'm now on the other side of the table, but I it'll take me one breath to put myself on the other side myself back in it as an actor and then in a rehearsal room so for me it's just a plus plus always because I just I know how I wanted to be treated when I was an actor and how I wanted that collaboration to be so I don't think I would have not think I would never have known that if I wasn't an actor now certainly the great directors who've never been actors who learn that or find their own way but for me that was always my my strength and, and, and the thing that I wasn't insecure about is I, I thought I know how to talk with an actor. I think that helped me a great deal in the process of becoming a director. 
So to be a great director on Broadway, you have to be good at many, many things. Working with an actor, coming up with a concept, working with writers. What do you think is the most important skill that a director has to have to be successful today? Two things. I think casting has and continues to be the most important thing a director does. I think it's at least 70% of a director's job. If you know how to cast well, if you surround yourself with great actors, or actors who are right, they're going to, you know, to help you, you know, shape whatever project that you want to be involved with. So I, I think that's a really major, major, major importance. Uh, the other thing, but again, I don't think it's not today. I think it's never changed. It's collaboration. It's just, I, my favorite thing to say, especially with actors, is, I don't know, let's try. Or, I'm not sure, let's explore that. Or, I always say, I could be wrong. I could be wrong on this. I could. I start a lot of stuff like that. I just could be wrong. And and by the way, I'm wrong a lot. But I'm. I think I'm. The first show, Broadway show I ever did was She Loves Me, and I had never ever directed a Broadway show. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go for the best. I'm going to. So I got in touch with Tony Wall, and I was a kid. I'd never done anything, but I thought I'm smart enough to surround myself with great people, and that was the biggest lesson I ever learned. Just, just get in a room with great people, and they're gonna. If you collaborate, then there's gonna be a total joy, no matter if it's successful, whatever that means. But that that became the most important thing, and that's the thing I enjoy the most with actors, with designers. You know, there's no one right answer. It's like let's let's explore and let's figure this out. Did you you worked with some giants, obviously, very early in your career, and obviously that was part of your strategy. You're working with you go up to Fred Ebb and say, Hey, yeah. Fred, I can direct your show, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And then Sam Cohen, you're calling, yeah, yeah, and now yeah. Tony Walton. Yeah, yeah. Were you intimidated? How did you deal it's with that? Interesting. I wasn't you I should have been. I really should have been. But I just was never I was always I was also very aware and appreciative and grateful that I was able to be in this that position. But I wasn't I, I was never scared about it. I I just thought, hopefully they'll see enough in me to know at least I'm passionate. And by the way, they were all the best. And, you know, so again, that goes back to, well, why not work with the best? Why not just, that has helped throughout the years, you know, just going to people who are just great at their job, obviously great at what they do, including actors or writers or whatever. So now I probably should have been, if, I, if I'm in therapy again for a long time, I'm going to talk about that. I mean, I'm nervous just hearing that you called Sam Cohn, having known his reputation oh, yeah. now. So I'm going to ask you one of my James Lipton-like questions, yeah. which is my bar in Omaha question. I want you to imagine you're sitting at a bar in Omaha, Nebraska, next to someone and who has never seen a play before and asks you what you do. And uh, you're, you say, I'm a Broadway director. And he says, huh, what, is, what do you do? What does that mean? How would you describe what a director does to someone who's never seen a show before? For me, it was it's just tell a story. You're telling a story. You tell, it, it, it can be through music. It can be words. It can, but it's basically saying. I mean, everyone's been told a story. Everyone. So it's I would just say it's telling stories. Different, lots of different stories. Lots of different stories. But you put put it in an environment where you it's live and you have a group of people that are there watching that story that you've helped tell with another group of people. And that 
It's not like anything else you've ever experienced. It's not a movie. It's not a TV. It's that being in a room for that one time with that group watching this this story being unfolded and told in some hopefully some great magical ways. Things that you've never seen before. What's the first thing? And that guy's going to take a beer and go, "Yeah, see you later." Yeah, no interest. I take it. I'm going on. <laughs> what's the first thing you do when you sign on to a project and you say, okay, I'm going I'm to do this? What's What's the first step in your process? The first step would be to, I, I go, I'm heavy into research. So I go, I go really deep into, if I read something, whether it's a new play or it's a revival or if it's a musical, a new musical, the process is pretty much the same. It's, it's, I, I start delving into, the piece, if it's a new, if it's a new play, sitting down with the writer, asking as many questions as I, as I can. But then I always do my own research, always. And I ask you a specific, like Elephant Man. What was the first thing you did on Elephant Man when you started to work on that piece? Well, the, because that had been done on Broadway and revived, what I, the first thing I did was to learn everything about Merrick, everything I could, all research about Merrick, all research about the hospital. So that's in fact a little easier because it's a true story. So you, are, I went to the library. I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with the New York Library and, and, and the theater. I, I, they're literally in my will because uh, not only do I, I'm honored to have so many shows that they've, they've, they've filmed there, but I do a lot of research there. You know, of, of things. So I looked and saw if anything was in the library. But mainly for that, it was it was easier just because it was all. True, you know, it was, uh, so it was just finding out that period of time, all of that. But I remember when I first showed with She Loves Me, I actually flew to Budapest. I had never been out of the country, and I thought, I'm going to go to Budapest and really delve into what this whole world is. And I found lots of things that we ultimately used, but I, I, uh, there was a hand-painted paint that I picked up, that I ended up buying for opening night, but I brought it back to Tony Walton. He used it on the set. He loved the imagery of this thing. So that's what I, I just go right into research. You've done a number of revivals. How do you decide that a revival needs to be revived today? You know, it's sometimes it's for the person. It's, I mean, 20th century, I did that and wanted to do that for Chuck. I just thought people, I mean, I love the show, but... If I didn't get Kristen Chenoweth to do it, I wouldn't have done it. I knew in my mind she was the only one for me that I thought would, it should be done right now for her. And if it hadn't, and she had said no, we had a lot of struggles getting the, our schedules together. It took like four years. But so that's one. And, and number two is just, you know, has it been done? Is there a new generation that should see it? You know, the rule is usually 20 years. There's a, a, you know, I don't know if people stick with it, but I think it's been about 20 years before something else can be looked at. And uh, so I think that's, so there's, it's really a person, a specific person, and especially nowadays, if you're going to do a revival, you sort of have to, have to have that in mind. And also, is it a piece that's worthy it's worth looking at and seeing, is there a new way into it? And I'm not, I don't come and, you know, clear the the table and go, let's start with an empty chair. It's just not, right. a lot of people do that. It's not, I try to find what the core was from the very beginning of what that essence was, that seed of how it was going. And then I'll take that 
and then see, well, now how can I, how can I look at it with different eyes, you know, and how can I approach this? So uh, that's just how I do it. So, you know, other people do it. But I, I always like to keep what was there and, and honor that and embrace that, but also try to, to, you know, people come and look at it differently. And when you're doing your research, do you ever go back and watch the old productions or I have. reviews? Or? I have. I mean, it's that's very tricky to do because you don't. And usually, I go back if there's something at the library. She loves music because it's my production. So that was it. Which, by the way, I did go back and look at it because my rule for this re, re, going back to she loves me was the only thing I said to myself because I didn't want to do it for the longest time. And then I said I'll do it. But I will not repeat one single thing that I did in the original. Not one. Costumes, lights, sets, even putting the entrance in a different way. Nothing. So I did, once I, David Rockwell and I sort of came up with what this was going to look like, I did go back and look at it. Maybe just so I wouldn't copy anything. But there have certainly been other shows that I was able to go look. But usually I'll go back and look once I have a, a much better sense of how I'm going to approach it. Then it doesn't feed into, you know, like, oh, I, oh, I should do this or that. I have a good idea of how I'm going to at least physically approach this. And then I'll go back. I can go back and look at it if there's something to look at. It's, it's very rare for a director to go back and revive a revival yeah. of his, right? Yeah. Not, Hal yeah. did it on Candide. I know that I worked on, but I don't yeah. know that many others. I think he did Cabaret again, too. Yeah. I think he, he did. But it was, just to say, it was fantastic. I saw the original, and I saw it again last year, and I was like, how can this be any different? Or Oh, wait. Oh, it is. Well, thank <laughs> Look you. Look at that. And by the way, I had, that was my biggest, my concern was, well, why am I going to do this again? I, it was successful. It was, for me, it was a beginning of, a real beginning of my career. And so I looked at it as you can only go down. That was it. But the honest truth is, when you talk about why you do revivals, I, I agreed to do a reading of it for benefit for Roundabout. And after reading, I literally fell in love with the show. I just fell in love with it all over again. I thought, this is just a perfect show. And I, I just fell in love with it. So that's how I did it. I just sort of went, okay, but that's the rules I gave myself was not repeat anything. It's so funny you say that. I've, I've, I've said that myself. I've heard a lot of other people say when they see something they like or they're reading a script they like, or they go, oh, shit, I have to do it now. Well, it's true. <laughs> you know, I, I there are times when I look at something, I know I don't want, oh, man, oh, man, I can't say no. I always laugh. I, I was, if I, if I have to turn down something, or if I choose to turn something, not have to choose, I usually tell them, listen, the good news is I'm sure you're going to have a big success. Because I've turned out so many things that have been fixed. Like what? Like, Can you give us an example? Oh, God. Oh, man. I don't want to go into it. It's, the, the, list is, the list is long. There was... No, I don't want to go into it. I would be <laughs> way too humiliated. Way too... But I always tell them, I'm sorry I'm going to say no. But the good news is, I think you're going to have a big success. But I will look at things sometimes and just... And, and read it and go... I just, you, you close the book and you say, I have to do it. So, and that's great and scary. And, you know, because you always, you always, you always put yourself on the line and you, 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 you bring your insecurities with you and you hope for the best. And it's, that's what it is. You know? They can't all work, of course. They what can't. happens when you do one that you fall in love with and it, it doesn't just work. doesn't work? How do you It's get such a good control? question because I think everyone does it so differently. I, for me, 
there have been so, and I've been so lucky to have so many opportunities. Probably in all those opportunities, there have been maybe two situations that I just, I was not, it was not fun. I mean, so one great thing about, uh, great, I mean, a lot of things great being director, but you can create the, the environment of how, and I always, like Elephant Man, we laughed so much. It was joyful to go into that room because I just feel like you have to create a joyful room. You have to create joy to create, whether it's a drama or, it's just, let's have a good time. It's not heart surgery. It's, let's, have, let's enjoy this. And I think the process in the, in the long run turns out much better. And there have been very few that I went, oh God, I don't want to be here. You know, very few, maybe two in my life. But the ones that don't work, I don't think you look, for me, I don't, I always say I only have control up to the opening night. Then whatever the critics say, whatever, I don't, I have no, obviously I have no control of that. I do have control on, as I was saying, the environment and the joy of it. So the truth is I've really walked away from most every project still saying, I'm glad I did it, uh, a joyful. There are some times I will look back and go, ah. I, you go down a road and sometimes you make a right and you should have made a left. And few, and then, you know, circle back and get on the road. Very few times you've made a wrong turn and it will find its way back to the, to the road it should be on. A couple of times, most part, if you've taken that turn, you took it and it's sort of hard to get back. And I can look back at certain projects and go, I made a decision there, and that was probably not the right decision. You know, still wasn't meaning it wasn't a great journey. It wasn't great, but you know, if I had to do it again, would I take another path? Probably, yeah. So, so you're like your kids. You know, you love your kids. Sometimes they run and, and win a race, and other times they're they're really slow and they don't win. So funny. But you love them anyway. I use that same example when I'm talking to investors. I say Broadway shows are like your kids. They're very expensive and they often disappoint you. But you love them anyway. <laughs> but you love them anyway. You know there's going to be some disappointment down the road. Do you read reviews? I don't read them that much anymore. I'm really proud of myself. I don't go in the chat rooms. I, don't, I just don't. Listen, as a, as a director, you certainly know. You know, you... you you know, if everyone leaves the party, there's probably a reason. But I don't go heavily. I, I used to much more, but I don't. I will take a few of them and I will skim. Not looking for my name, believe me. I'll just skim and get a sense of it. But it's, it's, and I make it very clear to the actors. We don't talk about reviews. We don't talk about them in the theater. We just don't. You know, uh, each path will take its own path and that's it. So, so I've been pretty good with that. I, I really don't. I certainly know if the show is critically successful or not, or next. You just know. And I ask, I'll say, how are they? And, you know, producers will say, yeah, good, blah, 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 blah. It's not going to change anything. It just makes you have to work harder to get people in to see the show. Your child that you still love, that they didn't, might, might not have liked as much as you did. Get more people to show up to their birthday party. <laughs> Let's go. They're not popular. <laughs> we got to get some more people in there. I don't think I've asked any other directors this before, but of course, a director is really responsible for assembling all the other members of a creative team from the choreographer, our musical designers, other than the let, let me work with the best. How, how do you approach assembling a team for each project? It's sort of 
it's actually very much like like casting too. I ask myself, do I want to be with casting? I say, do I want to be in a room with, with this person for the next several months? And do I? I again been lucky, lucky. I've had very few situations where it hasn't been a really joyful time. And very few times when I own an actor has just like you know taken a right turn. That's not fun. Very few. And I sort of do that with designers too. I. I think there are so many great designers, so many great designers out there. This I've worked with David Rockwell a lot recently because I love David Rockwell. I think his work is brilliant, and our collaboration is a total joy from the beginning to the end. And I guess that's what I look for. There again, very few designers that I would ever say I wouldn't go back and work with again. You know, and I always feel bad. There's you know, directors only do so many shows and. There are a lot of designers out there that I've worked with that I love, you know. But I think I just look at them and and go, it's, I don't even want to say, do I think they're right for this? Because then you pigeonhole someone, you know. They pitch, you pigeonhole directors, you pigeonhole actors. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you, you think of me this way, but I can do that. So I think with designers, it, it does become, they obviously have to have talent, but it becomes a personal sort of, enjoyment of the collaboration you know how do i have i enjoyed working with them or do i think i would enjoy working with them and that if something's not working we're like eh, that's not working let's try something else and i think that's nothing that's what i look for you have this unique perspective of course having had a long career in the industry and then of course the she loves me bookend yes as well yeah the middle yeah, end yeah because you've got a lot of stuff still to come but how has the audience changed on Broadway since you started working here? What have you noticed? Well, it is very much star-driven now, you know, ma'am. So I think people, a lot of people are coming in, seem to come in for a reason of someone, at least commercially or something there. So that sometimes I go, oh, man, I wish, you know, in the day, but uh, even way before me, you know, when you had, you know, major theater actors that people would show up to. Those days are not quite there. That's a little that saddens me a little bit. What I what I do find though in this age of everything is so fast and you've got to slam it and so I I do think the core of an audience has still not changed. Meaning that the audience is still if you're telling a good story and you're telling it well that audience will shut the outside out and sit and listen and go on this journey with you. So that that has been the same, and it's just it's just a little bit more competition to get them in to see your story. And uh, but I think once you're there and you're seated and the lights go out, I think for the most part, if you if you, if you have a good story and it's been told, that hasn't changed that much. Which is that is nice. What's the best way for a producer and a director to work together? What do you look for in that relationship? Well, I look for, for again, collaboration. I, I, I'm not, I think for, for a producer, especially when it becomes so, so much harder now because you have to bring in so many, so many people with money. So you, that producer has to deal with a long list of people who've given a certain amount of money who feel that they have a say into it. So the stronger produce, strongest producers I've worked with are the ones that, again, respectful and happy for anyone who wants to put their money in the theater. I'm like, 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm very much, I always invite the backers to come in during, during tech and sit in the back. And I just want them to feel part of it. But what I do look for a producer is to say, you've got to take all this and now you've got to focus it in and then you'll talk to me. People will have opinions and I will, we can listen to everything, you know, basically should. And we will have to, that producer and I will have to make decisions and with the writers as far as you know, it's, it's scary and tricky. You know, it's like, God, you're just like trying to figure stuff out. And there's a lot of people with opinions. So it's just trying to shift that. In. So I look for that. I look for, again, it's just so weird. It's just like with anything else. You just look for someone who's who's coming in and enjoying the product, enjoying this, this thing that we get to do. That a lot of people, we get to do stuff that we love to do. There's so many people who don't. I mean, I'm just grateful for that. So I want people who feel the same way. It's like, and no, we're going to do the best job we can. We do the best job we can. And that's, that's what I look for. You're one of the few directors that has actually been able to have a very su- successful career here and on the other coast as well. How did you make that transition and, and why are you so good at both? Well, <laughs> yeah, but thank you. Uh, I, I think how I made the transition was David Lee, who created Frasier, came, he was with the same agency, and they were looking for directors who knew how to work with actors. Because you had Kelsey, and you had David like Pierce, and they're really great. And he liked my work and approached me. And I had already observed for a while out there. It was such a long story, I'm not going to bore you. So I was sort of thinking, eh, that's not going to happen. But he said, come out, come out, and sit and watch me for a week. And they let me so I went out and observed on Frasier. And of course, it was great, great writing and great actors. And at the very end of that week, he said, what do you think? And I, I said, yeah, I can do it. He said, okay. And he, he told me this, and he had the power to do it. He said, I'm going to, he said, it, it's like Lizzie from uh, 110 in the Shade. You, you, you're never going to be someone who hasn't been asked. He said, I'm going to give you your first shot, but here's the deal. I can't get you the second one. You will either do well. And you'll do it or you won't. I can't give you the second. I can give you the first. I said, I get it. I understand. And I did it. And it went well. And I got I got another one. Then to transfer from multi-camera into single camera, very different. Again, pigeonhole, pigeonhole. Oh, he just does this. He doesn't do that. And I observed on single camera shows and no one would give me a shot. Nobody. And I ended up doing a play with Alec Baldwin, and he said, hey, I'm going to do this new show next year. I want you to direct on it. And I said, listen, I, I've never done something like that. And he said, yeah, 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 And sure enough, I get a call saying you've been booked on this new show called 31. And I was like, I knew my agents. They hadn't done shit with that. So I knew it wasn't, I knew it wasn't them. So I thought it had to be somebody else. And I thought, oh, it's it's that's what it is. So I, I, I call Alec. And sure enough, he said, yeah. I said, Alec, remember, I told you I haven't done one. He said, yeah, that's what the network said. And I said, so what? He'll learn. And that's what that's what you needed. And, and I got on there and I did okay. And that, that started, that, that door opened. So. No intimidation or fear in your in your life, it seems. You just take these opportunities I, and I have, go for them. I have two twins, seven-year-old twins. That's fear. That's fear. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, I can give you that day in and day out. But work-wise, not so much. Work-wise, everything else seems easy after that. 
So there's a big takeaway for all you want to be directors out there. Go have twins. <laughs> Go have twins, and you, this directing is going to be really much easier for you. Much easier. Uh, seriously, any advice for people that want to be directors? I, I, uh, I think the idea of assisting people is actually a really good idea. You don't want to get trapped into it. But you and people always say, "How do you get your assistance?" And I said, "I'll be honest. With you. I mean, I've gone through the league sometimes, and you know." Uh, but I said, "Young people, send me." I always meet them, and you know who I learned that from? Hal Prince. Hal Prince always meets people, and always, and he's he's a class act, and I owe him much. Uh, he's been so incredible to me throughout the years, including I've been revived most of his shows. But but I would say, yeah, that's a that's. That's really important to to connect and, and, and see how it works, you know, by observing or assisting a director and getting in touch with directors you like, you know, just to say I'm a fan. Ever, believe me, directors have big egos, so they're just fine if someone says, I love you, I love you, I love you, really? And then I just, then I say, and, and try to create your own world. Flora the Red Men is started because I created that. No one else did. I just that no one's going to give me a directing job. So I've got to create something. And and I'm still doing that. It never, you know, you always think, oh, I'll get to this point and it'll be easy. Not really. Not really. You're still sort of, you know, trying to find things that you want to do and make things happen and, uh, and challenge yourself. That's such great advice because for a long time in my career, I kept saying to many people, including my therapist, like, <laughs> when am I going to get the call? Like, when is someone just going to call me, you know, and just Where's hire me? Or be like, Where? Where's the call? And, I, and she was like, no. <laughs> I don't know who you think is going to call you. Uh, but yeah, you always that. hope. But you, you always hope. Listen, I, this is, I've told this, I, you know, I had three shows running on Broadway at the same time. Three shows. Elephant Man, 20th Century, and, she, and you can't take it with you. Successful shows. I did two things I knew what I would do. I took my kids on the, the two weeks that they were all together. On the first night they were all running, it was freezing. I have pictures, but I took pictures of them in front of each each marquee because I thought I'm framing this, and when they really are, don't like me or are talking about me in therapy, at least they can look and say, "Look at what my dad did," and we were all there. That's number one, and number two, I remember standing across the street on every single one of them during that period and just really taking it in and going, "Never in a million years would have ever dreamed that this would be." But the honest to God's truth is that's what that was. And it was phenomenally great. And then what? Meaning it doesn't, it never gets to that point of bam, bam, you know, yeah, people call you. But the truth is, it's just, now let's start again. It's, that's really what it is. And it's great. But every project is, you know, blank page. You know, some of the garbage are blank. And let's begin again. And that's sort of what you do. And you go, oh, right. That never changes. The last question, which is my genie question. I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin comes and knocks on your door and the twins are asleep. So you can answer it. Yes. And the genie says, Scott, I want to thank you for your incredible career, all the contributions you've made to the theater so far. By granting you one wish, what's the one thing that frustrates you so much, that gets you angry, that could have you flipping up tables and throwing things against the wall, that you'd want to have this genie change about this industry. About this industry? Yeah, one thing about Broadway or about the theater that just pisses you off, mm. that you'd wish away. Good question. I'm not pausing because there's the long list. It's not like 
Let me think which one that would be. I know. Okay, yeah, we're just being really blunt and honest. That's really what this blunt. Is about. And honest. No one is listening. I no swear. One, no one is listening. This why we talk about therapy all the time. I used to my therapist who never believed it. I said, you know, there's a list. There's an absolute list. Producers have lists. I've seen lists. They go down a list. There's a list. And and you change on the list depending on where you're at on the list. But there's definitely a list, you know, of everything. But it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't really matter where you are on that list. There are certain people in the business who, but this is my twin brother who runs the International Bar Association. Brilliant man says, listen, this is with everything. And that makes it. But I, it doesn't matter where I am. They are not interested. They're not interested. So there's that little bit. And it's luckily there's not many, but there are some. There are some who are like, really? You have just, you don't even have interest to talk to me. That, I must have done something so horrible, either to you, your family, or on the stage that you can't. But that that makes me angry sometimes. It's like, well, buddy, just, whoever, just sit down with me, you know, and, and stuff. That That's it. I guess luckily I, I, I don't have, I always say to everybody, if more than 50% like you, you're, you're okay. <laughs> At least 50%. More than 50%. But that, that, that's, that's really, that's an honest, honest answer to that. I love it. And a lot more than 50% like you. And I'm very thankful that you sat down with me today and all of us out there listening. Thank you very much for that. Thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and we will see you next time. Don't forget about our networking event this Thursday, 6 o'clock, April 6th at a Midtown undisclosed location, which will be disclosed to you when you join the Producers Perspective Pro Join today, theproducersperspectivepro.com, and I'll see you at our event on Thursday. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.